But today I want to talk to you about a character in the Old Testament, and maybe a character you haven't heard a whole lot about. He's not exactly having plays or books written about him, but his name is Mephibosheth. Kevin, go ahead and throw that up there if, in case you just want to know Mephibosheth. How many of you have ever heard of Mephibosheth? That's what we were thinking about naming our first son, Mephibosheth. And some of you are like, Mephibosheth, what? <laughs> You're making this stuff up. Come on, Jared. <laughs> no, Mephibosheth. And this is, a, this is a, 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 a character in the Old Testament. Let me tell you, it's a great story. And it's an unlikely one. It's one that's not taught a whole, whole lot. His story is very short, but it's an incredible story. But before we get there, um, I want to see how many of you in life would say that there are sometimes that just unlikely events happen to us. I think every single one of us could, could, could say that. Now, I've got a theory. For those of us that have children, for every child that you have, the likelihood of something unlikely happening to you increases by tenfold for every child. I believe that with all my heart. And when we have four children, uh, something unlikely happens about every hour. It just, it just happens. I remember when J.D. was younger, we were living in Sepulpa. Uh, he, was, he was a little guy, uh, one, maybe two years old. He comes in, he's gotten a popcorn kernel stuck in his ear. Okay, Now, this was before Jaxie, so he couldn't blame it on her. Um, how that got, I know we had to go to the doctor, and we had to have this popcorn kernel removed from his ear. Um, uh, Josie, I remember getting a, uh, a Jenny coming out into the yard where I was at, and Josie had swallowed a dime. And, well, now she's worth 10 cents. We know that. <laughs> she's worth at least that. And so Josie had swallowed a dime, and and, you know, I never experienced that. I'd never, you know, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? I called the doctor, and the doctor, he was at our church at that time, and he, and he said, just let it pass. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, you got to get in there and get that, <laughs> you know, and he's like, just let it pass. And so for the next couple of days, we're, you know, we're, we're listening to the sound of <laughs> Trying to hear a clink on the toilet, you know. <laughs> I don't know if it ever happened. I guess it did. Maybe it's like gum. Maybe it's still in there. I have no idea. I have no idea. But um, uh, uh, I remember also we were over at the Tulsa State Fair. Me and Junior had been talking about this this week. At the Tulsa State Fair, at that time we just had J.D. and Jaxie, and they had this little kid roller coaster, you know, and, and uh, uh, where, you know, the kids were wanting to ride it, and they were young. Jaxie might have been two or three. J.D. probably been four or five, and they wanted to ride this roller coaster, and it's for little kids, and so we, you know, let them go, and they're, we're sitting there watching them, and, and the guy comes, and he's, you know, buckles them all in. It looks like everything's good. Well, as soon as the roller coaster takes off, and, it, you know, it's not a big roller coaster, but it's big enough to do some damage. And as soon as it takes off, uh, Jaxie just gets up and starts walking around in the little cargo thing, you know. And this roller coaster is, I mean, it, it's, it's still pretty high. And, I, I, you know, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, no. And then I, and then I just hear Jenny, my baby, my baby, you know. And, 
and she's the, the operator, you know, she's just up standing around and it's going and it's doing its thing. You know, it's a little kid one, so it's not doing loops or nothing, but it's, 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 it's pretty high and it's taking some t- And Jackson's just standing there and she's just, you know, having to just standing straight up. And Jenny's over there, and she, the, the, the ride operator, you know, she's like, stop it, stop it, my baby, my baby. And the ride operator like, what? You know, and Jenny, she's like, stop it, you know, and, and she didn't slap him. In the physical, in the spiritual, she was whooping him up. But finally, he's like, what? And he just kind of, he's just kind of out of it, man. He, he was, he was just kind of out of it, and and finally, you know, he's, oh, oh, okay, and then he stops it, and, and you know, and Jenny runs in, she like hurdles the fence, and, and Dobermans, and everything else, and, and she comes in, and she just grabs hold of her, you know, and I'm like, well, only at the fair, you know, and that's, that's kind of, you know, that kind of described our day, we ate corn dogs the rest of the day, and was happy. But when you have kids, unlikely things happen. And, and today I want to talk to you about a character again named Mephibosheth. And his story starts in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's also going to be up on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, he had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel and his nurse took him up and fled. Now, what was that news about Saul and Jonathan? Well, that they had been killed in battle. That was the news. And as she fled in her haste, she fell. Uh, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now, let's pause for just a second because it's important to kind of understand the power of this story and we get the context of who these characters are. And so, Kevin, go ahead and go to that next screen, that next slide. So we have these four characters in this story. First of all, we have King Saul. King Saul is the king of Israel, okay? He is the king of Israel. And then we have Jonathan, and Jonathan is the son of King Saul. Then we have Mephibosheth, who is the son of Jonathan. So King Saul is his grandpa. And then we have David, who's the successor to King Saul. But now remember, David and Jonathan were friends. You remember those, all those stories? And so David and Jonathan were friends. And then you, you go back, and when we talk about David, this is the same King David that took down Goliath. This is the same King David that, you know, uh, that, that we, we know of, big, big time. And so imagine you're five years old, okay, and you're Mephibosheth. And, uh, you know, your, your grandfather, King Saul, and your father, Jonathan, have just been killed in battle, okay? You're five years old. You're out playing in the sandbox. It's just a fun day doing whatever royal kids do, okay? The palace doors swing open, and people, they are just in, 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 in panic, and they're screaming, and they're hollering, and they're yelling. It's like Black Friday at Walmart, right? It's just a crazy scene, and you're like, what, what's going on? What's going on? And they say, your dad and your grandpa have both been killed in battle. That's a bad start to a day. <laughs> That's just a bad start. And it gets worse. They're all in this panic because David was on his way to the palace to assume power. Now, that would have been a problem in this monarchy. Because any time in a monarchy that the, line, the family lines change, what happens to the old family? Or they're eradicated. 
And when I say they're eradicated, they're just not asked to move to Watonga. They're killed. Okay? They're killed. They kill them off. Why? Because they don't want a potential heir to the throne to be alive. And so everyone in this palace is is just freaking out because they think they're all going to be killed, including Mephibosheth. Now, this is what they're thinking. They don't know this for sure. All they know is that David is coming to the palace, and they're thinking, well, we know how this goes. David shows up. David was not in the line of Saul, Jonathan, and Mephibosheth, but we do know that the the Old Testament prophet Samuel anointed David to be king. Y'all remember that story with his, his dad and the brothers, and David's out in the field, and his dad doesn't even think he's worthy to be brought in to see if he could be king. And finally... Samuel says, hey, is there any, you got any other kids, there any other boys? And he says, yeah, I got one out in the field. He, they, he ain't worth nothing. You know, he's just out in the field. We'll bring him in. And he brings him in. He says, this is the one. Okay. David has been anointed to be king by the, by the prophet Samuel. And, and this, for a lot of people in that palace, was an issue. It was an issue because they thought their life was in jeopardy. Now, understand the context of this five-year-old, Mephibosheth. David was iconic. Chronologically speaking, when this occurs in Scripture, David has already killed Goliath. In fact, David has had many escapades as one of Saul, King Saul's top generals in his army. He has slain many Philistines. David was iconic. We we know that. David and Jonathan. Now remember, Jonathan is Mephibosheth's dad. David and Jonathan were really good friends. Therefore, it's almost as if David... Uh, could have been like this hero figure to Mephibosheth. In modern days, Mephibosheth might have had a David poster on his wall or something. Who knows? He might have even called him Uncle Dave. You know, we, we, we just know that they were, they were close. And David, because of this relationship with Jonathan, he could have been like family to Mephibosheth. And, and, and so Mephibosheth is, is, is understanding, my, my father is dead my grandfather is dead. They've both been killed in battle. And now David, my father's good friend, is on his way. It's going to be okay. David's coming. David's coming. And they're saying, no, he wants to kill you. He's going to kill you. And, and so they, they, uh, this kid, this five-year-old kid is trying to take this all in. And all of a sudden, in this panic, this nurse picks up Mephibosheth and begins to run. And she drops him. Okay? Now, how many of you, your mama or someone in your life ever said, I think you were dropped as a child? Anyone ever heard that? How many of you have said that about some other kid? You know, come on, be, be honest. You're out eating with other family. You're like, I think he was dropped as a kid, bless his heart. Right? You know, you can say anything you want as long as you had blessed his heart to the end of it. It makes it all good. Well, <laughs> Mephibosheth really was dropped. The nurse picks up Mephibosheth, begins trying to get out of there, and as she does, uh, she drops Mephibosheth. She, she, she drops him, and he breaks both legs. He becomes crippled. Five years old, they pick him back up. They don't have time to set a splint. Minor emergency is not open at this time. Okay? And so they just take off with him. They run with him, and they run to a place called Lodibar. Lodibar. We'll talk about that in a minute. His dad passes his grandpa passes. David, who he thought he could trust, he is told, is coming to kill him. And now both legs get broke. They pick you up. They whisk you away. His whole world at five years old has just been flipped upside down in the matter of a moment. In the matter of a moment. Have you ever had one of those Mephibosheth moments in your life? Let's just talk about it. 
where you're sitting there and everything is fine. You're hanging out in the sandbox of life and everything is fine and everything is good and then all of a sudden a doctor comes in and gives you a report that you did not expect because five minutes ago you felt healthy and now he's telling you this is wrong with your body. This is going on and, and, and it feels like everything has been turned on in. Maybe someone that you thought you could trust, they violated that trust. Maybe someone that you thought would go the distance with you in life, maybe that relationship just crumbled down around you and in moments your world has been flipped upside down. Maybe you get a call that a loved one that you thought y'all had years and years left to experience life together, and now all of a sudden that is gone. I know that from when I got the call on my dad, man. I, I know that. I know that emotion when life is just flipped upside down. And you can understand a little bit of what Mephibosheth felt in that moment. Now, years go by, and nothing happens. He doesn't get healed. No one helps him out. He lives for years just broken, crippled, broken. But one day in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says this. The Bible says, David said, is there still anyone? Now, this is King David. He's assumed the throne. And he says, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? Now, based on what we know of killing off a monarchy, that's a weird statement. It's an interesting statement, but it's a weird statement. Unless you understand the context that you see here. Unless you understand what we're talking about. David and Jonathan were actually very good friends. And at one point in scripture, David had been anointed. What we talked about had been anointed by the Old Testament prophet Samuel. And when he's anointed by this, Jonathan is aware of this. Jonathan should be in line to be king. But the, but the prophet anointed David. And so Jonathan plays his cards right. Jonathan said, hey, hey, Dave, man, man, me, me and you, we're tight, right? We're, we're good friends. Hey, when you assume the kingdom, when you take the throne, can you show kindness to me? Because he, Jonathan knows. He knows that, that in, in most monarchies, if, if, if something doesn't happen, he's gone. Like, if something doesn't happen, he's gone. He knows he's friends. But he also knows this is how it's always been done for years. And I just want to make sure that my family is good. And so he talks to David. He says, hey, Dave, man, I love you, man. Hey, let's, let's, let's go. You know, let's go have a Pepsi together. Okay, hey, we're drinking Pepsi. That's good. Hey, uh, you know, can, whenever you become king, me and you, we're okay, right? We're still boys, right? And David's like, hey, it's all good. You don't have to worry about a thing. I will show kindness to you and your family. Now he has made this, David has made this promise to Jonathan. And the Bible records this in 2 Samuel 9 that one day, I don't know why, but one day, for whatever reason it was, this pops in David's mind. And he realizes, is there anyone, I know Jonathan's dead, I know Saul's dead, is there anyone still left in his family? Is, is, is there anyone in that lineage that maybe I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? So they summon this guy in named Ziba, Z-I-B-A. Aren't you glad they're not naming our kids nowadays? Mephibosheth and Ziba. And now Ziba comes in. Ziba is one of Saul's servants. And they ask him this question. And Ziba, he replies to King David. He says, well, uh, you know, there's, there's one son of Jonathan that's still alive. He's just kind of, he's crippled. He's, he's kind of, you know, he, he's not even worth bringing in. Just, just, just pass him by. And he kind of pushes him aside. Why does he do this? Because in this day and age, in this culture, 
to have this kind of handicap, do you realize there's no ADA compliances, there's no handicap ramps, there's no wheelchairs, there's nothing like that. And so in this society, in this day and age, they would push these type of people aside and they would consider them a burden and they would consider them worthless and they would kind of push them aside. Now we understand our culture that this is just absolutely absurd. But in the context of this culture and this story, it is important to know how quickly that Zeba just brushes him aside. He said, yeah, there's one son, but you don't want to mess with him. Okay, he's not even worth bringing in. Now, this is not the response that David goes after. He says, well, where is he? I want to know where his son is. And Zeba says, he's out in Lodibar. He's out in Lodibar. He's at the house of Machir. And David says, well, I want you to go get him. Now, Lodibar was a place that literally meant a place of no bread. It's a place that's considered dry and desolate. You would almost say that, uh, I don't say Methuselah, Mephibosheth, you'd almost say that Mephibosheth had been placed in the witness protection program, okay? That's pretty much what it like, and now, now he's on Obamacare, and everything's, go- come on, somebody, that's good preaching. In f- <laughs> I just got to wake you up for a second. In 1 Chronicles chapter 8, it's important to know the genealogy of King Saul because Mephibosheth is not even his real name. Check it out, 1 Chronicles chapter 8. It says that his given name is Merabal. Go ahead to that next slide. There it is, Merabal, M-E-R-I-B-A-A-L. And this means an opponent of Baal, okay? Baal was a false prophet, a false god, excuse me, a false god. Baal was a false god. And so when this son was born, his dad Jonathan said, I'm going to name him something that he's going to be an opponent. He's going to be a warrior. He's going to go, he's going to stand up for the one true God and go against false gods. I'm going to name him Maribel. It's like today someone, I'm going to name him Jethro. You know, I don't know. I don't know what Jethro means, but it's just a cool name to me. But I'm going to name him Maribel, an opponent of Baal. And then all this happens and he gets out in Lodibar and his name is changed from Merable to Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth means son of shame or shameful thing I, I, I just want to hone in on that for a second can you imagine five years old your dad your grandpa have passed your legs are broken those who you thought you could trust you can't you're taken away from the palace You go from palace living to Lodibar, okay? (laughs) That's ridiculous. You go from palace living to Lodibar. Your name is changed from an opponent of Baal, a warrior against Baal, to son of shame. Boy, Mephibosheth's day just keeps getting better, doesn't it? And now, Mephibosheth has lived many, many years in Lodibar. We're not sure how long. The Bible's not clear, but we do know this. He's grown up at this point. And Ziba comes in. And Ziba comes to the door. And Ziba says, hey, King David wants to see you. Now, for Mephibosheth, this is not a good day. This is the day that is, it's not like, sweet, I've been waiting for this moment. No, it's nothing like that at all. In fact, he says, no, this is the incarnation of all the fear and all the worry and all the terror that has haunted me to this moment. He had grown up now hating David it's David's fault that I'm out here 
David, I thought I could trust him, and he's trying to kill me. It's David's fault that I'm out here in this desolate place. It's David's fault that I'm a fugitive. It's David's fault that my legs got broke. It's David's fault that I'm living like this, and now he wants me dead. Now it's time. They've been telling me it's coming for years, and now it's time. Ziba's at my door. I got to go with him. The end is near. Had to have been what he's feeling. But this is where the story takes an unlikely turn. And this is where we see David's response. Everybody still with me? I know it's Memorial Day and everyone's, you know, (laughs) thinking about ski-doing. That's not even right, ski-doing. (laughs) Sea-doing. Everybody's thinking about catfish. There we go. We see David's response. Hang with me, we're almost done. And we see what Mephibosheth thought. And you pick this up in 2 Samuel chapter 9. David said to him in verse 7, he said, do not fear. Mephibosheth comes in. David says, do not fear, for I will show kindness to you for your father, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul and your grandfather, and you shall eat at my table always. And Mephibosheth paid homage, which means he bowed. And he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog such as I? That's a great pickup line, man. That's what I said when I asked Jenny out. Would you go out with me? But if you don't, I understand. Why would a girl like you be dating a guy like me such a dog as I? Right? And she said, well, you're potty trained. That's why I work. Right? Your house broken. This is more than her last boyfriend. Uh, Moving on. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) But you can just see Mephibosheth. He's, you know, why why do you want me here, David? Why do you want me here? David says, I want to show you honor for your your dad's sake, for Jonathan's sake. I I promised him. And and, and Mephibosheth like, why? why? A guy like I, look, man, look. I can't even stand up on my own. What do you want with a dead dog like me? I'm no good to you. I want you to see this. What a terrible thing to say about yourself. I'm just such a dead dog. All these years of hiding had made Mephibosheth think of himself as worthless. Oh, can we get into it? All these years of hiding, have you ever found yourself at a place where you kind of felt like you're worthless? Like, like there, there's nothing in store for you, that, that, that you're not worthy of something, that God, God's trying to pour something into your life, and God's trying to bless you, and you're like, God, why, why, I'm not worth this, I'm not worth, why are you trying to do this to me, why are you trying to bless me like this, I'm not worth this, God. And that's where Mephibosheth is in this moment. He's receiving this blessing from the king. Everything that he's believed, everything that he's known, everything that he's internalized about David has been wrong. And in the same way, many of us, we find ourselves pushing ourselves out spiritually to a place like Lodabar, a place of no bread, a place where it's desolate and spiritually dry. And we are there and we believe and we internalize these things. Then we start thinking, I'm not good enough for God to use. I'm not good enough for God to take. I'm not good enough for the king. I'm not good enough. I'm worthless, God. You know my past. You know where I came from. You know what I did. You know, I grew up in Haleyville, Oklahoma. Nothing good comes from Haleyville. And God says, man, if you'll just shut up and let me use you, man, I want to pour into your life. But you got to keep your mouth shut. And you got to speak what I say into your life and stop calling yourself a dog. You're not a dog. 
You're a child of the king. Oh, I'm, I'm about to preach this thing. Get your hankies ready. We think, oh, he's mad at me. God's mad at me. God, man, he's never going to do anything for me. He's mad at me. I've made all these mistakes. I messed up. He's upset with me. He's just waiting to drop the hammer on my head. And God's like, get that stinking thinking out of your life. That's not what I'm about. Oh, God, he's just waiting. He's just waiting. And as soon as I mess up, he's going to come back. I know he's going to do it. And God's like, get that stinking thinking out. Maybe you carried guilt for years. And you're thinking God's upset and God's angry and God's wanting to get even. I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you that's just wrong. You see, in the same way that David had an unlikely and different outcome for Mephibosheth, God's desire for you is to bless you and bring you a hope and bring you a future. It's a twist in the story of Mephibosheth. It's the twist in the story of my life too. It's the twist. Now it's important to know at this point, David says to Ziba, he says, Ziba, come here. I'm going to give Mephibosheth. Now remember, Ziba was King Saul's servant. Who Ziba's the guy that said, well, Jonathan had one son, but who cares about him, right? So now King David calls Ziba in and says, Ziba, I'm going to give Mephibosheth all of his grandpa's land, King Saul, okay? Not, we're not talking about a little garden over here on the side. We're talking about all, everything that King Saul had conquered, everything that belonged to King Saul now belongs to Mephibosheth. Oh, the day is starting to turn better. Come on, somebody. You know, Ed McMahon is at your front door with a check. Life is starting to get good. Come on. And now, uh, therefore, he gets this vast majority of property. And then David says to Ziba, the guy that said he's not worth anything, he said, oh, and by the way, you and your household and all your 35 servants, you're going to serve Mephibosheth now. <laughs> yes! It's like Oprah. Everybody gets a car! This is awesome. And so here's Ziba. He was like, what? He's like, yeah, you and your family and all of the servants that work for you, you all are now working for him. And you can't tell the king, no, this is King David. He's got to, you know, he's good. Oh, man. Verse 11, the Bible says, so Mephibosheth ate at King David's table like one of the king's own sons. Oh, 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 oh. We're going to get to the table here in just a second. But how about that? This kid from five years old, having all this stuff happen to him, all these terrible things, all these years, suddenly gets flipped upside down on the end. It's the beautiful story of restoration. It's the story of David bringing him to a place of hope and of honor and of power. And we love the ending of this story. We love it because we see someone who didn't deserve that, who'd gotten dealt a hard deal. All of a sudden, they're restored and they're vindicated. It's awesome. It's one reason why, how many of you ever watched the show on TV called The Voice? You know, they're sitting there and they, they can't, all the chairs are turned so they can't see. They can't see, does, do they look like a movie star? Do they, do they, do they sound like a, like a pop star? Do they sound like a country star? No, the, 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 the chairs are turned and all they get to hear is the voice. And I don't know about you, but in the voice, I love to see the underdog win. I love to see the person that no one thinks, well, maybe that's why I'm an Oklahoma State fan. I love to see the underdog win. We've gone for years of being the underdog. You know, it's good. It's good. I keep telling myself that. It's good. Or like maybe when tragedy strikes 
and, and, and you see a family that's lost a father and you see a mom that's doing everything she can to help keep her family together and the house starts to fall apart and there's no money in the bank and then all of a sudden this group of people swoop in and they take this broken down house and they just tear it apart and they create this mansion out of it all in one week and they, y'all remember this show and they stand out on the street and they holler three words, move that bus. Y'all remember that show, American Extreme Homemaker, whatever it was, you know, and then, and then the bus would move and this beautiful house will be there and everybody on the streets crying and come on a minute you cried too and I almost did but we see all this stuff we're like that that's it that's the underdog story that's what we want to see it's in the DNA of our very souls. It's etched in our very souls because this is a story of Mephibosheth. And whether we want to admit it or not, this is a story of us. This is our story. You see, the story of Mephibosheth is a true story from the Old Testament, but it's also an allegory of what Christ has done for us. What do you mean? What I mean is you can say, I am Mephibosheth. I'm him. I'm that guy. If you're taking notes, let's actually start the sermon now. That's all introduction. This is going to go real quick. There's three points. First of all, how are you Mephibosheth? Number one, you're fallen and you're broken. We may not be fallen and broken physically like Mephibosheth, but we've been fallen and broken spiritually. You see Romans 3.23 says, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In the same way that Mephibosheth fell physically, we fell spiritually. Number two, the great thing about the story of Mephibosheth wasn't just that it was left there, but Mephibosheth was pursued by the king, by King David. And whether you realize it or not, you are being pursued by the king. Not just a king on this earth, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is pursuing you. Jesus Christ is pursuing you. John 3, 16, we all know very well. But 17 says that God did not send his son to the world to condemn it. No, he sent his son to the world to save that which was lost. It's an unlikely twist of the story. You are being pursued by a king. And number three, I told you this to go quick. We're falling, we're broken, we're being pursued. And the third part, I love this, the last part, is that the king's table covered Mephibosheth's sin. The king's table. Let me explain it this way. Back here we have a table, okay? And on this table, I set it up with the finest of China. I love this. This is a rib dinner setup right here. And I'll set this up, and you've got, let's just, let's just pretend like this is the finest of the kings, okay? You've got your, 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 your glass cup, you know, and the finest of China, and it's, it's Chinette, and it's, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Now, here's the thing. When Mephibosheth is at the table, this is the king's table. Oh, yeah. Man, we should have had some real food up here. I'm, I'm hungry by now. Mephibosheth is sitting at the table, King David's table, which I'm sure King David's table is probably at least one and a half times this size. That was a joke, probably 10 times the size. And Mephibosheth is at the table. When you walk in, can you tell anything about Mephibosheth? Can you tell he's handicapped? Can you tell he's broken? Can you tell he cannot stand? No. He's sitting at the king's table. And the king's table has covered everything that the world saw as weak. Everything that the world saw as he's never going to fit in. He's never going to make it. He's never going to do it. He's never going to become somebody. 
the king's table covered it up. And so when you walked into the king's table and King David invited you to his table, it said that Mephibosheth, he ate at the king's table just like he was one of the king's sons, which meant of the evening he would come in and he would eat with the king and he would eat with all of the guests and all those people that had been invited by the king to come and eat with him. Mephibosheth was there. And when they walked in, they didn't, re- they didn't realize, they didn't recognize that Mephibosheth had any type of handicap whatsoever. They just knew he was at the table. And with him being at the table, they knew that he had power and they knew that he had authority and they knew that he, he had a little bit of money to his name. Come on, somebody. They knew these things. And so when they walked in, they saw Mephibosheth there at the table. They didn't see his hurt. They didn't see his pain. They didn't see his struggle. They didn't see his handicap. They didn't see everything that he couldn't do. They just knew where he was seated. And where he was seated was a place of authority and power that was invited to him by the king. Now let's get ready to preach. You are here at this table. You have been invited by the king of kings and the Lord of lords to eat his, his oh, let me prove it to you. I'm glad you asked. Let me prove it to you. Oh, let this fat boy run for just a second. All right. And Luke 22, 29, 30, it says this. Jesus, Jesus, words are read. This is words are read. I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. Whoa, yes. Now, what does that mean? That means when you come up to Jesus' table and you eat at the table of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, all your weaknesses and all your struggles and everything that the world says, you'll never amount to that and you can never do that and you can never achieve that. You're at the King's table. He's got all that covered by his table. He's got it all covered. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the King's table. And he was lame in both of his feet. I don't know about you, but I got weaknesses. I got struggles. I got areas that God's got to help me along each and every day. But when I come and I sit at his table, the enemy can't see that stuff. Why? Because when I'm at his table, I'm in the presence of the king. (laughs) Hallelujah. When I'm at his table, I'm in the presence of the king. And when I'm in the presence of the king, <laughs> the enemy can't touch me. We'll try this side. The enemy can't touch me. I'm telling you, he may have been the, un- the, 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 the underdog. He may, he may have been the most unlikely. But man, David made him a powerhouse. And I don't know about you in your life, but I've been the most unlikely. But I just got a feeling Jesus, is going, he's, he's not through with me yet. And guess what? I got a feeling he's not through with you yet either. And you may say, I'm the most unlikely. I should not even be up at this table. I know that feeling. I know that thought. I don't deserve to be up here at the table. I know. I know. (laughs) But it's not about what we've done. It's about who has invited us. And the king has invited us. The king has said, you come with me. You you eat and you drink with me. You come to my table and my kingdom will be your kingdom. (laughs) Hallelujah. And I just want to encourage you today. Let's continue to eat regularly at the king's table. Mephibosheth, from that night on, (laughs) Ziba had to serve him. (laughs) I want more bread, boy. (laughs) Bring me more bread. And fill up my Mountain Dew. (laughs) It's awesome. In one moment, his world was turned upside down. And in one moment, his world was turned right side back up. And you may have experienced that moment when everything's been turned upside down but I'm here to tell you you you, you just keep praying you keep seeking you keep going after the Lord because in one moment he can turn everything back right side up just one invitation 
from the king. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Father, we love you today. God, what a message of restoration. What a message of, of encouragement and of hope. And God, there may be some in this place this morning that they, they feel like Mephibosheth. They have that, that thought process of, God, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to make it. I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not good enough to be used in that way. I'm not good enough. God, it's not about our ability to hang on to you. It's about your ability to hang on to us. You've never let one fall. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that that mentality would just go. God, I pray that as we get in your word, God, that our mind might be renewed through the reading of your word each and every day. And God, that mentality, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't, I can't do this good enough. I can't do that good enough. God, we know that is a lie from the enemy. Everything that Mephibosheth thought in Lodabar was a lie, turned out to be a lie. David was not after him. David wanted to bless him. And David kept pursuing until he found him. And God, you're not after us. You're not one to take us down and break us. You're not one to take us down and destroy us. No, the word says that we have an enemy and his job is to kill, still and destroy but your job, you came that we might have life and have it more abundant. And so Jesus, this morning, we know you are chasing after us to fix all the lies, to transform those lies into truth and to let us know, stop running and stop believing a lie. You've been invited to the table. I desire you at this table. So Father, speak to hearts and speak to lives this morning who've been lied to by the enemy. And God, I pray that this morning they'll respond to the truth of your grace and the truth of your mercy. And they'll receive the invitation from the king, come and eat at my table. And my kingdom will be, will be forever yours. Father, today I ask this in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here this morning. And you, you are Mephibosheth. You believe the lies. You believe that God's after you. You believe that God, you know, you've just done too many things and God does not want to bless you. God does not want, want to pour anything into your life. And you're living in Lodibar, a place that seems desolate and dry, a place that says just, just spiritually dead. That's exactly where the enemy wants you to set up camp. And that is exactly where God wants you to give you your moving papers today. You're moving out of there. You're moving back to the palace where you belong. You are an heir with Jesus Christ, a joint heir with him. So this morning, if that's you, and you'll say, Pastor Jared, man, I'm, I'm believing the lie. I'm believing the lie today. I, I need to get some things right. Today, I, I need to get my mind straight. I need to get my heart fixed toward God. And I just need to get some things straight in my life. I'm not living this lie and I'm not believing this lie anymore. Jesus didn't die for me to live in a lie. 
So if that's you this morning, come on, will you slip your hand up right now? Just slip it up. Yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. anybody else in the house this morning yes thank you yeah thank you sir hallelujah 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 praise the Lord praise the Lord praise the Lord Father right now you see every hand that was raised. God, you see every person who said, I'm, I'm there. I'm in Lodi Bar right now. God, I want my walking papers. I want my moving papers. And this morning, Jesus, you're inviting them back to the palace. You're saying, stop living where you're at. That's not where you're designed to live. I've got better for you. I want better for you. And so, Jesus, as you speak to hearts and lives right now, as they respond to this word, as they respond with with that action of, I'm I'm not staying here anymore. I'm not living in the lie. I'm living in the blessing of the king. I've been invited to the table, and I'm going to take my seat at the table. And when I get there, I'm going to know that everything's been covered by the king. The table that he has me sitting at covers all my weakness, covers all my struggle covers all my hurt, covers covers all my pain, covers all the words that have been spoken over me. I'm now at the table with the king. As a father, I pray in their life this morning, as they just signify, they say, God, I believed a lie, and I'm tired of it, and I want to know the truth, and the truth is going to set me the truth is that I'm a child of the king the truth is that I'm a royal I'm part of a royal priesthood I'm part of a holy nation I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ I'm the head and not the tail I'm an overcomer I'm more than a conqueror and I've been placed at the table with the king through the blood of Jesus in my life God I pray your blessing upon them today God as you just touch them and you anoint them in a great and mighty way God, as you ministered to them this morning, God, I thank you for your presence in their life. God, that from this day forward, they are never the same. In Jesus' mighty name, for now the truth has set them free. And God, we thank you for this. And we declare and decree it so. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen.